Okay, we're going we're gonna to continue with the book of Ephesians. If you're visiting with us this morning, we're, we've been going through Ephesians uh, and uh, we're on like a 10-year track. Um, we're, we've made it to uh, Ephesians 1, 17. It's taken us since January 1st to get there, uh, which is uh, actually a little faster than I thought it would go. Uh, we we uh, we're getting here to the prayer of uh, of Paul in Ephesians 17, and this prayer deals with Paul requesting God to to uh, give the church the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the true knowledge of God. And I, you know, I realize that we uh, we talk a great deal about the necessity of that in in working in the believer a lot here, and. Uh, and, and yet I find that my heart is, is constantly, the Lord is constantly dealing with my heart, bringing me back to that necessity, the absolute necessity of, the, of Christ being revealed. It's never something you learn about and then move on from. It's something that the Lord makes ever present and ever real. And I, you know, I, today might be some, some, some things you've heard me say before, maybe not, I don't know. Uh, but I, I just encourage everyone to let the Spirit uh, really deal with with your heart in a fresh way to cement cement in your in your heart the uh, I guess the best way to say it is the necessity absolute necessity for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to bring you to the true knowledge of God we're going to be talking about what that what that means just real quick by way of review last week we mentioned that it's that it's only in the light and and uh, in the reality of everything that Paul has has already said that this prayer has its significance. You know, Paul's not stopping, you know, the middle of his letter and uh, you know having a prayer meeting or something. Or someone records it. No, he's sharing with the church of Ephesus what he prays for them in light of what he has already taught them, in light of what he's already said to them. Well, what's he already said to them? Well, first he he began by describing the finished work of God in Christ. And we'll, he goes on, you know, in, in uh, Ephesians chapter two, to describe uh, much in much more detail that finished work. We'll get to that in 2015 or so. But uh, but he already has given in the first 11 chapters, 11 verses, he has given uh, a, a a summary of that. And we've looked, we've spent uh, some time looking at that. Uh, verse three: In him we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. In the heavens in Christ. Notice the tenses of these here. In Him we have the adoption, which is the son placement that he that, that uh, had been promised. In verse 7, we have the redemption. Verse 9, in Him we have the mystery revealed and made known. In verse 10, we've come to the administration of the fullness of times where all things are gathered together in Christ. Verse 11, in Him we also have obtained the inheritance. And we spent a week or two, uh, or three, I don't remember, on, on each one of those uh, showing them all, as Paul does, to be now realities in Christ. Uh, not, not, not the future things that we await, uh, but, but, but the reality uh, uh, and, and the substance, in fact, of our salvation. And then in verse 12 through 14, Paul tells believers that the Spirit of God has been given to them as the guarantee, the certainty that they will come to know and live in and abide in, or possess, experientially possess the very things uh, that they have been given, and it's very similar to how it's very similar to what Jesus says uh, in John fourteen through sixteen, where he says things like the Spirit is, is coming. Don't you know? 
the Spirit is coming, don't be afraid because He's going to guide you into all truth. He's going to teach you all things. Another place He says, He's going to take of mine and reveal it to you. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, He says, The Spirit has been given that you might know the things that have been freely given to you by God. And so first Paul here describes the things freely given. Then he describes the seal of the Spirit, which is our guarantee, our certainty of knowing, knowing what, what has been given. And when, when I, when I uh, use the word know, neither I nor Paul uh, has in mind an intellectual knowing. Uh, that's the furthest thing from the meaning of that Greek word and, and the furthest thing from, from that, the reality of that Hebrew concept. Um, unfortunately, we don't have a, a, maybe a better English word for it. But uh, this is the knowing of experiential union. This is the knowing that occurs when two are made one. Even as it says in Genesis, you know, Adam knew Eve and they conceived and gave birth to a son. That was obviously more than an intellectual experience. And so, uh, so it is with all of the, the knowing that we are coming to in Christ. It is an experiential, you could say it this way, it is a participation in life. The sharing of life. I like the I like the phrase experiential union because that's really the way in which God is known. And so it's with this description of God's finished work in Christ, followed by a description of the ministry of the Spirit of Truth, Paul goes on to ask the Lord to show them more of what God has done, that they would then bear the image of it, be conformed to it, that they would not walk in blindness, that they would not, as it says in Hebrews, neglect so great a salvation. Not that they would just not, not that they would just learn more about it, but they would actually bear the image of it. That, that substance and reality that is in them by new birth would actually be the life that is formed in them and manifested through them, through the true knowing of Him. And so, anyway, that brings us up to our verse today. Let's just read it. Ephesians 1.17 I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the true knowledge of Him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. We'll probably get to the second part of that next week. But uh, deal primarily with... Uh, Verse uh, seventeen, yeah, verse seventeen this week. But uh, you, you got to ask the question, you know, why why is Paul praying this way for believers? Why is he praying for for the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the opening of the eyes of the heart for believers about whom he've he's already said in verse fifteen that he knows that they're growing in faith and in love. Why, why is he doing that? Remember th- this church that he's writing to is a church that he himself planted. And if, and if memory serves, it's a church that he stayed at and, and fed and shepherded for three years before it mentions in Acts 21 that he then sails back to Jerusalem where he gets beat up and thrown in prison. But, uh, you, know, you, I might, you know, you might think to yourself, I, I can't understand why he... Well, maybe, maybe I can understand why he'd pray this way for some, you know, maybe Peter's church or something. Or no, I'm just kidding. But uh, someone else's church, or, or, or you know, a church he'd never visited. But uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, a church that was backsliding or whatever. But, but a church he had planted and established. Why, why was he praying this way for for that church? Well, it, it, you know, 
If you ask that question about the church of Ephesus, you have to ask about every single church that Paul writes to because in every single letter of Paul, the primary thing that he is trying to bring his readers to, either through describing his prayers or his desires for them or just through his teaching, he is, he is primarily trying to bring them to grow up in this sort of knowing, this sort of seeing, this seeing through the Spirit's revealing and, and, and granting of spiritual wisdom and understanding. It's everywhere you look. And, and we, I have at times past made long lists of those things and, and, and just read verse after verse after verse. And that's fun for me, but probably not as much for you uh, out there listening. But just a few, Philippians 1.10, Paul prays that the church would abound still more and more with spiritual knowledge and all discernment. Colossians 1.9, Paul's asking that they would be filled with the knowledge of His will and all, spirit, and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Philemon 1.6, Paul prays that the sharing of their faith, the fellowship of their faith, is actually what that word is, may become effective in the acknowledgement of every good thing that is in you in Christ. That's everywhere you look. And, and, and you can see it everywhere you look for this simple fact. Here's the, here's the bottom line. Nothing of Christ's will can be accomplished without Christ's mind working in Christ's body. I said that before, I'll say it again. Nothing of Christ's mind can be accomplished, I'm sorry, nothing of Christ's will can be accomplished without Christ's mind working in Christ's body. And Christ's mind only works in us through the spirit of wisdom and revelation. The mind of Christ is never something you're just going to stumble across. It's never something you can figure out. I guarantee you that every nice uh, and so-called spiritual thought you might have, as long as it comes out from yourself, is not only not the mind of Christ, it is contrary to it. That sounds kind of harsh, Jason. Well, not as harsh as Romans 8.6, For the mind of the flesh is death. But the mind of the Spirit is life and peace. Verse 7, Because the mind of the flesh is enmity towards God, for it is not being subjected to the law of God, nor neither can it be. That's a pretty strong statement. It doesn't say that your natural mind is at enmity with God. It says your natural mind is enmity with God. So, if anyone uh, uh, just laid it all out, uh, Paul did right there. And we need to reckon with that fact. We have to reckon with it. If we don't reckon with that fact, then our lives will be the manifestation of our mind doing things for Him and never His mind working in and through us. Our mind, as this verse says, is enmity with God. Regardless of how friendly or spiritual it might appear, it cannot do His will of itself. It is, by nature, contrary to it. We mentioned that last week briefly when we were looking at the words faith and love. If you remember, faith, faith is not what you believe. That's belief. Faith is not hope. Faith is not trust. Faith is faith. Faith is the mind of Christ working in your soul. Faith is the view, I like to say it this way, the view of spiritual reality that is present to the eyes of your heart subsequent to the revealing of Christ. Faith is a spiritual seeing, a beholding that is given to you by the Spirit. It is not your understanding of a spiritual thing. It is the Spirit's understanding of all things being wrought in your heart. And so, faith is when His mind, which is in you by new birth, begins to bring you to His view to work in you His reality. 
And then that produces his nature. That produces love. And love comes out from faith. That conforms you to his image. And we spoke about that last week. I'm just reviewing. Faith is his mind working in you. Love is his nature working out of you. Faith brings forth love. And I listed all the scriptures last week that say that. Uh, chief among them maybe was Galatians 5, 6, where he says, uncircumcision matters nothing, circumcision matters nothing, but what, you know, the only thing that matters is faith working out through love. And love becomes the outworking of the person who is in you through, through a new birth. But what I'm saying this week is not that different, is not really different at all than that. His mind must be working in you or nothing of his nature or his life comes out of you. In other words, nothing of his will is accomplished without his mind working in his body, like I said in the beginning. You see, his mind isn't just good Christian ideas. His mind isn't just whatever you think Jesus would do. No, that's your mind trying to decide what he's like. But that's not even how your body works. If you think about it, your body doesn't try to decide what you're like and just go for it. Can you imagine how embarrassing it would be if you had to walk around with your body parts trying to figure out what you're like and act like it? What an embarrassment. I mean, for me at least, I don't know. If, If my body members were acting on a mind of their own, trying to manifest me apart from my mind working in them, that would be a scary mess. And unfortunately, my face would be all over it. So, how, you know, how could a body get it right? Is there any chance that that would ever be you know, a true manifestation of Jason? How could it be? How, how could a body manifest a life when the best it knows is an imitation of what it imagines that life to be like? Friends, the body of Christ does not exist to imagine what we think good things are and what we think Christian behavior looks like, a Christian actions, thoughts, responses, emotions, or any of that, and then go out there and imitate Jesus. The Gospel is not about an imitation of Jesus. It is about the impartation of Jesus unto the manifestation of Jesus. That we can manifest the very life of Christ to one another and to the world. That's some... Sometimes that seems so hard for people to grasp. I say that kind of thing to people all the time and I, 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 it's not uncommon uh, for me to uh, uh, get some strange looks. But really, it's a no-brainer when it comes to your own body. I mean, why do we still think that his body can function with individual members trying to act like him? Are your toes trying to act like you? What needs to happen for your toes to stop trying to act like you and start manifesting you. Your mind needs to work in them. You see? Your mind needs to be the source, the cause, and the supply of all that your toes do. And that is why, in a nutshell, that is why the mind, that is why the spirit of, that's why Paul is praying for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to be working in them, bringing them to the mind of the Lord. Revealed by the Spirit, so that as it says in Philippians 2.13, that He can work in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Working Him, working in you. See, that, that, that's Him doing the willing and the working there. What does that leave you? That leaves you a vessel in whom there is a fantastic treasure. But the treasure was put in a vessel so that it might be known that the, that the treasure is not of us. 
And we know those verses, but you know, sometimes it's like we don't reckon with the reality of it. It doesn't slap us in the face hard enough. You know, it's like a theology we, we study and not a reality that is revealed. And, and again, I, you know, I, 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 I get some strange looks when I mention this sometimes, and, and yet the re, it's really so simple. You don't really have to look past your own toes to see how a body works. There must be one mind, one life, one source, one supply, and all members being one in that one life together express that one as and only as the mind of that one life is the source and, and, and reality of, of the body. And I know that takes us back to the basics, but let's just go there as often as we have to. Seriously. You know, what's a Christian? Is it a smiley person that cuts your grass when you're out of town? I mean, what, what is a Christian? Is it a person who believes true facts about Jesus? Is a Christian defined by doctrines, emotions, and nice, nice deeds? You know, emotions and nice deeds. I, I've got some neighbors who have found that if they smoke uh, certain items, they can be very smiley and do very nice deeds. <laughs> you know, and yet, uh, they're the furthest thing from a Christian. I, you know, I'm not trying to be too goofy here, but really, I mean, a Christian is not defined by emotions or actions. A Christian is one in whom the living God dwells and out from whom the living... Before I get on to that, in whom the living God is formed, Galatians 4.19, and out from whom the living God expresses himself. A Christian isn't a hand trying to be like a head. Really. A Christian is a hand who through the revealing of the head has become a vessel through which the head effortlessly expresses himself. Christian. I know, that, you know, to some of you that might sound like simplicity itself, but, you know, in my heart, the Lord's always bringing me back there. I find myself uh, praying for myself. I, prim- I, 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 you know, this is 97.8% of the prayers that I pray for myself, and that's a completely made-up statistic, is this prayer, though, right here. I mean, it's somewhere around there. It's most of what I pray for myself is that, that his life and mind and nature would be on the increase and mine on the decrease through the true knowing of him. That is 97.8% of how I pray for this fellowship as well. I find myself praying this, this, this prayer, and, and I know that in this, just like Paul, I know that in this fellowship, I know faith is increasing and love is, is, is increasing as well. And yet, and yet, I, I find myself desiring so intently that God would reveal His Son in us that we would not make a Jesus charade with a, with a fleshly invitation. I find myself realizing that my natural mind is enmity with God. And its best, its best notions and aspirations are at, are, are at best well-intended. And then, you know what? Not even that when I see more clearly. Even that turns out not to be the case. They are without effort, contrary to his ways, and they're self-consumed. You peel the onion far enough, you're going to find your your own self right there somewhere. That's the nature of Adam. That's the nature of the natural man. We can become the vessel of someone who is quite different than that, but we'll never have it in ourselves. 
So, Paul says that we are, by nature, children of wrath. By nature, not by deeds, children of wrath. Hello? Not by actions, not by dirty language, children of wrath. By nature, children of wrath. Well, what happens when a child of wrath is born again? Well, that's fantastic. New life is in you. Christ now literally lives in your soul. But it's one thing for Him to be there and it's another thing for His mind to work in you so that His nature comes to be formed in you. You see, that's what's behind Paul's prayer prayer here. It's one thing to be born of the Spirit. It's It's another thing altogether to have the mind of the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit and to bear the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Which, you know, you've heard me say this before too, but the fruit of the Spirit isn't isn't the fruit of you imitating the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And so Paul prays. Paul prays. Paul prays that this body of believers who he knows to be growing in truth would continue to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation make real in their soul what they already have. Well, you know, what is it that they already have? Well, they have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.14 But you have the mind of Christ. Yes, but is that mind working in you by the spirit of wisdom and revelation opening the eyes of your understanding? That's That's the issue here. Or is that mind buried somewhere underneath all of our theologies and Christian concepts and attempts at self-improvement? Paul prays that the Spirit would, by revelation, bring them to the true knowledge of God. And just uh, incidentally, do you, do you realize that the, the true knowledge of God is God's knowledge? It's... It, It's God's reality, His heart, His perspective, His truth. The knowledge of God isn't your knowledge about God. It's the true knowing of Him as His reality, His heart, His perspective, His truth works in you by His Spirit. So much of what Paul is teaching about and praying for the church has to do with growing up in what he calls the true knowledge of God. True knowledge of God, or you could translate it sometimes the full knowledge of God, whatever you like. I, I sometimes think we're confused about what, 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 what that really is. Uh, here's an analogy, it's kind of weird. Uh, but try to think of it this way. What would be a better way to know me? What would be a better way to have the true knowledge of Jason? Would it be better to know everything conceivable about me through studying my life and listening to my words and talking to my family and talking to people that know me and reading my journal? Or would, I don't keep a journal, so don't look for it. Uh, but w- w- you know, would, would, that, would that be the best way you could know me? Or, or, or would it be better if my actual mind and heart were working in you, showing you what I felt and thought and... and, 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 and and how I reacted and, and, and what I knew about every, everything that, that is in me. What, what, would be the, what would be the better knowing of me? Wouldn't it be far greater? Wouldn't it be a far greater knowing if my actual spirit was somehow inside of you showing you what makes me tick? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that uh, be a quality of knowing that makes any other sort of knowing seem so external? So subject to one's own interpretation. You know, you could read my journal and say, I think he means this by that. Well, I'm sure he means this by that. Well, I've got five other pages in the journal that show me that he means that. 
Well, you know what? If my spirit was in you, you wouldn't have to guess. Well, I'm just actually, I'm not actually making up that analogy. It's exactly what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. You can turn there if you want. We're going to look at a handful of verses, but 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9. But it is written, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have has it entered the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. Next verse, but... That verse doesn't stop there. That isn't the end of uh, the, the chapter there. The next verse is, but God has revealed them. You see, this isn't, uh, I has not heard things far off in space somewhere. This is the, the things which natural eye cannot see, natural ear cannot hear, the natural heart of man cannot know, except, verse 10, that God revealed him them to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Okay, so Paul starts out here by saying that the things that natural eye cannot see, ear cannot hear, and heart cannot know, God has revealed. God reveals by His Spirit what your, what your senses could never perceive. But he continues, uh, verse uh, 11 here, For what man knows the things of a man except, that the, except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have... Now. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Do you see his point here? It's precisely what I said in my, my goofy knowledge of Jason analogy. Nobody knows Jason except the Spirit of Jason within me. If you really wanted to know Jason, you'd have to somehow partake of the Spirit of Jason, all that. Jason's spirit would have to live in you. Well, that's impossible, but look at what Paul says. Even so, verse 11, in the same, it's the same way with God. Nobody knows God except the Spirit of God. Boy, that's a bummer. I guess I'll just never know Him. No, read on, please. Look at the next verse. Now we have received that very Spirit, that very Spirit that does live in you that does show you the deep things of God, that does unveil to you not just what He's like, but the very nature and life and essence of who He is. Now we have something of a knowing that is like the type and shadow of of Adam and Eve's knowing in the garden. Now we have a knowing that is an experiential union. Now we have the true knowing of God. It's not more knowledge about God, not just better theology or spiritual facts. It's not really even more of your knowledge of Him. It's His very Spirit living in you, revealing in you the reality of His indwelling life. So it's really not your knowledge, your heart, mind coming to an understanding of Him. It's really His knowledge, heart, and mind coming to work in you. Do you see the difference there? The Spirit has been given so that you might know Him. And so Paul prays that by the Spirit of wisdom and revelation, we might know Him. Experiential union. Knowing the One who is in us. Knowing the Spirit that is living in the soul of man. 1 Corinthians 6.17 The One having been joined to the Lord has become one Spirit with Him. I wrote down a couple of verses from 1 John. They just kind of popped into my head. 1 John 2, 27. You don't have to turn there if you want to. I always read it. But the anointing which you have received from Him abides in you, 
and you do not need that anyone teach you, but the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie. And inasmuch as it is taught you, you will abide in Him. Ooh, that just gives me shivers. 1 John 5.20 And we know that the Son of God has come and given us an understanding. See, the Spirit's understanding is given. Given. Not, uh, not uh, you know, dug up or searched, searched out. It is given. Given by God. That we may know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. That's 1 John 5.20. See, it always has to be the Spirit working in us, spiritual reality as it is in the heart of God. It has to be that. It can never be our, just, just our research or study of Him. Why? Why not? Well, read on in 1 Corinthians 2.14. Because the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't search the Scriptures. I certainly do, but I search the Scriptures not as a discipline or as a, you know, looking for a daily life lesson or something. I search the Scriptures because they're a window through which I can look to see the true God, the person of, of, of eternal life. I search the Scriptures so that the Spirit has something to work with, some tool to work with to open the eyes of my heart and reveal Christ Jesus as my very life. And that's the true knowledge of God. God's Spirit, the Spirit of wisdom and revelation, given to the human soul to reveal His very life, His heart, His view, His will, His nature, His love, His righteousness in us. Causing in us both, both the knowing that comes from this experiential union and a, and a participation in the one known. And maybe that's, maybe that's a better way of saying what the knowledge of God is. The true knowledge of God is nothing less than a participation in the life of the one who is being known. So the measure of our knowing is the measure to which that life has been formed in us. You could say, conversely, the measure of our lack of knowing is the measure to which we still live in His place. The measure to which the toe is still trying to act like the head. That's a lack of knowing there. If your toe grew lips and asked you how to be like you, you would say there's a serious lack of understanding going on here. So, that's why Paul prays. That's why his prayers are consistently for the mind of Christ to work in the body of Christ. That's why Paul prays the way he does here in Ephesians uh, chapter 1, and then he prays a very similar thing in Ephesians 3, verse 16, 17, somewhere around there. The will of Christ cannot be done unless the mind of Christ is being revealed in the members of His own body. Some of you uh, hopefully remember an analogy I shared a a year or so ago about a friend of mine I had in college. Not you, Frank, don't worry. Uh, This was after uh, you transferred. So his name was Chris. Uh, His real name was Frank. (laughs) Okay. His name was Chris, and uh, he had uh, cerebral palsy, and uh, and he and he never had control of his arms. Remember this? I told you this story maybe a year a year ago or something. He could do an amazing amount with his feet. Uh, he could write with a pencil and type on a keyboard. Typed all his papers in college up with his feet. It was incredible to watch his feet go. But uh, that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. But uh, 
My point is that his hands were completely out of his control. In fact, not only did he not have control of his arms, his arms were constantly doing things that were not according to his will. They were not according to his mind. They were doing things kind of like they had a mind of their own. And they would have these you know, muscle spasms shooting out every which way and they, they often bumped into things and knocked things over and flipped over tables and they were, they were very embarrassing to him. All of, it, all of it completely contrary to his mind. He even told me on a couple occasions that when he was younger he asked his, his parents and they always gave him the thumbs down but if, if they would actually surgically remove his arms because they were nothing but trouble. You know, as far as he was concerned they were, they were good for nothing. You know, they, all they did is embarrass him or misrepresent him. They misrepresented his mind. Apart from Chris's mind, they really could do no good thing. And he just wanted them cut off. Maybe that, maybe that brings John chapter 15 into your mind a little bit. John 15:4. Abide in me, I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. Unless you abide in me, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. They're gathered together and thrown into the fire and burned. Well, that's what my friend Chris wanted to do with, with, uh, with his arms. He wanted to chop off the dead limbs and throw them away. Because, because his limbs, listen, his limbs were worse than dead. His limbs actually had a mind of their own, a will of their own movement of their own and so long as it was their own it was always contrary to Chris it didn't matter what they did apart from his mind it was never what he wanted it wasn't an expression of his will what am I getting at well I hope it's obvious we're the dead limbs that have a mind of our own we have a will of our own Movement of our own, ministries of our own, glory of our own, everything of our own until Christ is revealed in us. We're like those arms. Now, see, but listen, I'm not saying those arms, I'm not saying you and I, apart from the mind of Christ, don't have life in us. Chris's arms had life in them just as much as his feet did that worked. Life wasn't the issue. Do you hear what I'm saying? The issue wasn't an absent of, absence of life. Our problem isn't that we lack the life of Christ in us. We have the fullness of that life at new birth. We didn't get a sliver of Jesus. We got Jesus. Our problem is that we lack the mind of Christ by which all things of His life are manifested and by which all things of His will are accomplished. And that comes only by the spirit of wisdom and revelation bringing us to the true knowledge of Him. Don't misunderstand me and think that I'm saying that, that uh, life is the issue here. If you're born again, you're just like one of those arms. You're, I said this morning, I was actually using, I was talking about this analogy in the Colossians class, and I said, uh, you know, it's kind of like when you're, when you're born again, you're, you're, you were dead, dead in trespasses and sin. All of a sudden, you're, you're fully alive, but you're fully with cerebral palsy. you got nothing functions according to the head that is now, you know, the head of his body. And the process of growth is the process of the body not getting more life. You could poke it with a, with a pin and it would hurt just as much when the mind is controlling the arm as when it's not. Life isn't the issue. 
The issue is will and manifestation of the mind working in the body, manifested in the body. That's the issue. Sometimes I think, oh, Lord, the things that your limbs do in your name, apart from your mind, working in them, both to will and to work for your good pleasure. And that's why Paul prays what he prays. He prays unceasingly that the life that is in them through new birth would bring transformation inwardly and then manifestation outwardly through the true knowing of Him. Paul knows that therein lies the key to all, all spiritual growth and all of the will of God being expressed. That's why his letters are filled, filled with trying to show them, you know, uh, not just how to behave, but the reality of, of what God has done and then praying that the Spirit of God would make it a reality in you. And, and if that doesn't work in you, the best you could do is the best that we could do for my friend Chris. And that is we, could, we Velcroed his arms down to uh, his wheelchair. His wheelchair arms, you know. We Velcroed them down. And, and we put these gloves on his fingers to keep his fingernails from actually cutting into his own hand by, by squeezing isn't that like us? You know, that's a perfect definition of religion, in my opinion. Religion is strapping uncontrolled arms down so that they don't do horrible things. But see, Christianity is not strapping down uncontrollable limbs or teaching them how to behave better. It is life moving in those limbs. That's how you fix the problem. You don't ever forget the will of God is never in doing, it's never in the doing of things for Him, but in the formation and expression of Himself in us. In other words, God's not trying to tell you what His will is so that you can go and do it. It never works that way. God's trying to transform your soul into the fragrance of the manifestation of His will in every place. 2 Corinthians 2, 14. We become unto God the fragrance of Christ in every place. God's not trying to give you instructions on how to be like Him any more than you're trying to give instructions to your knee on how to be like you. He's seeking just like you to have each member effortlessly express the life, the life that lives within. And the way to get a body, any body, body of Christ or the natural body, the way to get a body to become the effortless expression of the indwelling life is to have one mind one nature, one life, becoming the source and supply of all that happens in that body. And brothers and sisters, that happens. The spirit of wisdom and revelation working in you, bringing you to that mind. Causing that mind to be formed in you. So you see the heart behind the reason, the motivation behind what Paul's praying here. Didn't just, he didn't just grab some idea out of the air and say, wouldn't it be nice this is, the very rea- this is the very prayer that will bring forth from them the very reality, reality that he knows to be already in them. He doesn't pray that God's body would just 
discipline themselves in such a way that they don't do this or that. You know, that would be like praying for my friend Chris to find a way to strap down his arms. That might relieve some of the symptoms of the problem, but what is it really fixed? What is it really dealt with? What would solve Chris's problem? What would I like to see? You know, what if I, you know, laid hands on Chris and prayed for him and then, you know, the pro- and then while he closed his eyes, I just wrapped his arms to the wheel. You know, that, that wouldn't fix a problem. It might fix a symptom. What would really fix Chris's problem? If Chris's mind and will and nature would reign supreme throughout those arms, that would fix the problem. What would remove the need for the ropes? Well, again, if that one life reigned supreme in every member, well, what would solve the same problem in the body of Christ? If Christ's mind and will and nature would reign supreme throughout the entire body, throughout each member of that body. And it's, it's because Paul realizes that, that he prays the way he does. He prays, God, I ask you to give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Open the eyes of, of their heart. Show them the things that have been freely given to them by God. Amen. We'll stop with that. Why don't we just stand and we'll...